the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended and or purchased by advisor or product made reference to directly or indirectly will be profitable. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will either be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. No client or prospective client should assume that any information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor or any other investment professional. The following program is pre-recorded. Listener calls are not being taken at this time. Thanks for listening to AM 1420, The Answer. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. And we're back. I have to really kick myself. <laughs> I've been paying for this service for a few years now, and I just now realized just how good it was <laughs> and how many things that it had. I just hadn't had time to look at all of it, but uh, and they've added a lot to it. And uh, it's, it's called Y Charts. It's not cheap, but um, in fact, if I were an individual investor, I wouldn't be paying for it. They ha- they have a version of it for individual investors. So if you want to look up a stock really quickly and, and get uh, basically the nitty gritty on it really fast, then that might be worth it. I think it's only $50 a month, but I'm not sure that was a long time ago. Uh, mine's like seven times that amount, but uh, which is not that bad. Uh, I'm just looking right now, the fund flows report something I hadn't seen before. And basically they're trying to measure where the funds are flowing inside the stock market and bond market universe as far as funds go. And those funds would be mutual funds, um, exchange traded funds, and sometimes sub accounts and variable annuities, that sort of thing. But anyway, it's pretty interesting. They're, they're showing the returns and the one year returns as of October 31st, the, uh, oh, just as I say that my computer stops working. Um, so, yeah, the one year for the S&P was minus 14.6. The year to date is minus 17.7. Uh, and the Dow Jones one year is minus 6.4. Year to date, minus 8.2. NASDAQ tech stocks have been hit pretty hard this year. They're down almost 30%. The small cap down 16. Not too bad. About a little less than the uh, S&P 500. One year is down 18, a little more than the S&P 500. And if you look at 
um, the aggregate bond index. And this is what's really interesting. The aggregate bond index this year is down almost as much as the S&P 500 is. It's 15.72. The, the one-year number is 15.68. The, the Treasury index, Barclays tar- Treasury index, is down 14. The U.S. credit, that would be, those are investment-grade um, corporate bonds, basically high-grade. They're down 18.9. They're down more than the stock market is. That blows my mind. And see, that's why you should listen to this show because over the past few years, I've been talking about how long you should be holding short-term bond funds if you're going to hold a bond fund. Uh, And if you're going to buy bonds, you want to buy short-term. At some point in time, that's going to change. But for now, it's it's actually still the, the thing to do. As if you were in a bond fund and it was holding government bonds that were, and let's look at the uh, TLT. That's kind of a, a good, um, uh, I guess, a good example of what might happen. It, those are long-term treasury bonds. The maturity's got to be more than 20 years on them. The price of that fund, and this is not including income, by the way. It's been paying income the entire time. Not a ton, but it's been paying something. And uh, But the price on it, if you're just to look at the price, in, in 2020, I'm trying to line this up right now as we speak, as I speak, it's down 45%. That's crazy um, from, from where it was in 2020 when it peaked. It's down a little over 40%. And those are government bonds. And this is one of the, one of the reasons I'm bringing this up is if you looked at the yield, I had a caller called... I don't know, it was probably three or four years ago, and he was all excited because he had purchased this thing and it made a little bit of money in the short run. Well, now that it's down about 40%, you know, I'm hoping that he sold it. But um, you, you've got to know what you're doing, you know, even with bonds. If, if we look at something that's relatively short term, okay, let's look at the uh, iShares, the, the Barclays Aggregate Bond Fund through iShares, that's through BlackRock. So it peaked out. Oh, it looks like it was uh, 2020. And it's down about 19% from there. Now, it's the yield on it, the 3% you would have gotten over the past couple of years. So you'd only be down in the mid-teens somewhere if you had reinvested all the dividends. Now, think about that. Only down 15% in bonds? And a lot of people are, are questioning, you know, why is my balanced account not doing well? Because you're holding bonds. And the bonds that you're holding are were too long. These, and the average maturity on this, average maturity is, is right around seven or eight years. That's not a long time. And uh, actually, that's right around, yeah, about seven or eight years. Those are not super long-term bonds. And, and again, we weren't talking about intermediate bonds. That's what these would be kind of classified as. Uh, we were talking about really short-term bonds for the past couple of years. And that's where the vast majority of the decline has come from over the past couple of years. And it's accelerated this year because they raised interest rates so quickly and they're still raising interest rates. So I I don't know that you are going to see the bottom in these bond funds. So if you're not, if if you want some options and and I'm not allowed to make specific recommendations over the radio, uh, that's against FINRA and SEC guidelines so you can always email me or you can call me. I can call you back. The, uh, I can give you some uh, ideas. You know, I can tell you what I'm doing. 
what we're doing. And, uh, uh, but as far as making a specific recommendation, that's, that's taboo. You just don't do that <laughs> unless you don't want to keep your license, you know, then, then do whatever you want. But, uh, bottom line is you, you should be looking at stuff that's relatively short term in nature. And that's one of the reasons that we've been talking about, uh, you know, fixed index annuities for a while. And I know some people, they, they roll their eyes at that and they're normally pretty young, the people that are doing that, uh, or they just really, really rich, you know, and can live off of, you know, less than 2% because that's the dividend yield on most stock funds now. So like 2% or less, uh, if the dividend yields much higher than three or 4%, it's because they're taking a whole lot more risk. And when you see how far down the, uh, that government bond fund went with government guaranteed bonds, okay, there's a risk there. And, uh, the risk is, interest rate risk that's caused that to go down a lot. So you take a triple A rated bond and turn it into a disaster <laughs> by holding bonds that are too long in nature. And that's my point is that you, you really need to know more than what the track record was in when you go to buy something. And oftentimes the one with the best track record over the past four or five years okay, is the worst performer. Go look, Go to Standard & Poor's website and look up the performance of indexes and funds compared to indexes. A lot of times the funds that have done really well have done well because they've taken a lot of risk and it paid off. You know, Risk doesn't always mean that you're going to lose. Sometimes you take a larger than average risk and you win. And that's one of the problems because then people, if they didn't understand what they were doing and they got lucky... They're going to think that that's, you know, hey, I got this. And then you're going to buy a bunch of long-term government bonds and they're going to drop like rocks. And you're going to be going, wow, I, did, did I all of a sudden get dumb again? The, uh, no, you're probably, your IQ is probably about the same <laughs> as it was the first purchase. Although you probably feel like it's, you know, dropped quite a bit. But you, you just have to understand that. And in an investment, in an environment like the one that we're in right now, you still want to be holding the shorter term bonds and just keep listening to the show. I'll tell you when I start to switch out of them, which is going to be quite a while. Um, it, I, I can't imagine uh, things changing that much that quickly to be able uh, to make the transition or to make it necessary to make that transition. Stocks, on the other hand, uh, they are slightly ahead of where they should be, depending on which funds that you're in. When you look at the uh, track records of a lot of these funds, which I'm going to have to wait until I come back to uh, do because uh, I don't have it pulled up right now, which is kind of a bummer. No, here, I got it. So if I'm looking at which funds might have be better over the next four to five years, than they have been over the last four to five years. Uh, it looks like value has lagged growth in every category. So value stocks. What are value stocks? Value stocks are stocks like uh, that are selling at better valuations or lower valuations. And here, here's uh, let me put this in perspective for you. Let's say you're looking for a house and you, you like one particular area and you happen to know because you did a little bit of research online that the average house in that area sells for about 175 bucks a square foot. Okay. That's the average for the area that you like. 
a house comes up that's only $130 a square foot. Why? That, that's the first thing you want to know is why. What's wrong with that house? You know, do they have uh, repairs that have to be made? If you go and check the house out and you find out that, hey, somebody lived there, didn't have any relatives, and they passed away, so the house is just up for sale, uh, then uh, great. You probably found a bargain. But if you go and you look and you have a, an inspection done and there's radon coming through the basement at super high levels, maybe you don't want to, you might want to pass on that one. <laughs> That's the reason that it's selling for less than it should or less than the other houses around it. And stocks are very similar. Stocks are very similar. And I'm, I'm going to have to put out another little booklet that you can take a look at a company, a stock in, uh, it shouldn't take you very long to um, be able to identify when a stock is underpriced or overpriced. It's very, the reason I use the real estate because price per square foot is pretty common, and most people kind of get that. If the average price per square foot is 150 bucks in a in a neighborhood or in an area that you like, and you see a, a 2,000 square foot home, you probably don't want to pay a whole lot more than 300 thousand dollars for that. Why? You know, it's 200 bucks a square foot, 1500 bucks. That's two times 15 is three, uh, 30. And it's, so it would be 300,000 bucks. You wouldn't want to pay a whole lot more than that. That that's about as complicated as it should get with stocks. You really, and when you're, even when you're looking to buy a fund, you can get the data now, or I can, um, if you want to pay a lot of money, you can get it too, <laughs> but you can get the data on the stocks that make up those funds. And my question would be like, what if, let's say that house that uh, was selling for 300,000 bucks, all of a sudden somebody buys it and puts it up for sale for $600,000. And is, is that a good deal? Well, not if all the other houses haven't doubled in value in that neighborhood. Now you might be overpriced. So what if you went in and it was selling for 600 at the beginning? You'd probably look at it and go, woo, that's, that's a lot more expensive. Well, stocks are the same way, except that instead of price per square foot, we use a price per uh, dollar in sales. So let's, let me give you an example. There's a company out there selling for a billion dollars and they have $2 billion in sales. So the billion dollars that you're paying for is literally one half of the $2 billion in sales they have. Is that good or bad? Well, you don't really know right off the bat. Uh, you can get a little more detailed with a stock. You can actually, you can get super detailed, but what you want to know is what are their long-term profit margins and is there any growth? But the long-term profit margins are key to begin with. So if the profit margins were about two and a half percent, which is one half of five, then a one, a one half to price of sales ratio would be good for that company. Why? Because if they have a 5% net after tax profit margin, which is below the S&P 500 by a, fairly, by a lot, you probably don't want to pay a ton of money for that company because 5% is not a huge profit margin. Does that make sense? And they, uh, um, if you, actually, that would be about one-time sales. So if, if the company's doing a billion dollars in sales, you want to look to see how many shares they have multiply it by the share price that gives you the the value of the entire companies as far as the stock goes the stock market value and those should be about equal it should be one and and in this case 
it is equal. You got a uh, company that's got a billion dollars in sales doing 5% or earns a 5%. So price to sales ratio for that one should be one. And if all the shares they had out there times the share price equaled the billion dollars, you'd be good. So if you didn't pay more than a, if the price to sales ratio was right around one, you'd be good. I know you're probably scratching your head and please don't be trying to write this down as you drive your car. <laughs> the next seminar I do, I'm going to write this down. And in fact, I'll, I'll put a little booklet out on it over the next couple of weeks because it's really not that hard. You just have to remember the price to sales ratio. And a higher price to sales ratio is not always bad. A higher price to sales ratio for a company like Microsoft who sells a whole lot of software and most of the software they sell today, uh, people are, they're just downloading it. I mean, they're basically selling $400 emails. I'd really love to get into that business. <laughs> Pay me 400 bucks and I'm going to send you an email. Is that your software, actually? So when you look at the price to sales ratio for Microsoft, it is here. Let me see. It's almost nine. It is nine. Why is it nine? Well, because they have huge profit margins and they still have some growth which is always good. Uh, let's see here. They're still not paying a, uh, well, they're paying a little bit of a dividend. Dividend's 1.13. That's not huge. But here's one of the reasons that it, it sells for so much. Nine times sales, the, the average stock in the S&P 500 sells for about three. Okay, so why is Microsoft selling for three times average? Well, there's a couple of reasons. The five-year growth rate on the sales has been over 15%. That's a lot, especially when you're doing trillions of dollars, that, that is a ton. Okay, so to have growth that high, that's pretty good. That's actually really good. Yeah, the profitability. And I'm trying to find, oh, they changed this up. Doggone, I'll probably have to look this up. Oh, here we go. Here are financials. The, um, uh, no, I'm still going to have to look this up when we go to commercial break. That is a bummer. Like magic. Commercial break. <laughs> so I'll look this up. You're listening to Bill Bullington. Stay tuned. As soon as we come back, I'll give you this data. You see my victory. When all I see is the mountain, you see a mountain The Cleveland Orchestra welcomes you to Severance Music Center this November and December and the wonder all around. First, it's the brilliance of John Adams' El Nino. Then, Stravinsky's magical Firebird. And a powerful evening of Prokofiev and Walton. Experience the Cleveland Orchestra at Mandel Concert Hall this November and December. Tickets at clevelandorchestra.com. Bad decisions limit future options. Make bad enough decisions and you'll destroy your life. Listen to The Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes, every Sunday morning at 6.30 here on AM 1420, The Answer. The Flatline describes a mainline resistance in your soul to build on God's Word. Join us every Sunday for 30 minutes of inspiration, motivation, education, all without manipulation. That's The Flatline with Rick Hughes, heard every Sunday at 6.30 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. WHKRadio.com, iHeart, TuneIn, and Odyssey.com. 
From an idea that started in 1967, Our Lady of the Wayside has grown to serve almost 900 children and adults with developmental disabilities throughout Northeast Ohio. It's an operation that is still growing thanks to tremendous support and generous donations like the Wayside's car donation program. You can donate your ride to the Wayside for a great tax write-off by calling 1-800-368-6262. The Wayside is also looking for people to join their team. They hire for attitude and train for skills. Visit thewayside.org to apply today. Do you ever find yourself saying, I need a vacation? Vacation Fixation can help. At Vacation Fixation, we specialize in all-inclusive trips and cruises to Mexico, the Caribbean, and Disney vacations. Why choose us? Our clients book through Vacation Fixation because they are frustrated with online trip brokers and timeshare scams. Whether it's a weekend getaway, a family trip, spring break, or honeymoon, Vacation Fixation will personalize a trip just for you. Want to know the hottest destinations in Cancun, Punta Cana, Jamaica, or Puerto Vallarta? Interested in room upgrades, beach reviews, or details about resort restaurants? How about finding a trip with a direct flight? At Vacation Fixation, we take all of your specific travel requests and shop our suppliers to find the best deal. What's the cost? Our suppliers pay us so you don't have to. Call 330-573-8147 for more details. Or you can visit our website at vacationfixation.com. Or check out the deal of the day on Facebook. Vacation Fixation. Is it finally time to update your bathroom? Bath Planet, a division of Joyce Factory Direct, specializes in replacing and converting old showers and tubs into new beautiful bathrooms in as little as one day. We have transformed thousands of bathrooms just like yours into a spa-like oasis that has homeowners excited to use their new bathtub or shower. Right now, all bath installations are 50% off. So call to schedule a free consultation with on-the-spot pricing. 440-243-5700 or visit JoyceFactoryDirect.com. And the future's bright This is a new Okay, so we're talking about Microsoft, and we're talking about their price-to-sales ratio. Um, the average for the S&P 500 right now is right around three. The longer-term average is closer to two, which is a little unnerving because to go from three to two, that's a fairly large haircut. <laughs> that's 30%. So uh, in other words, the S&P 500 is selling at 30% above its long-term average. But here's the thing. Microsoft makes up a big part of that average. So does Google. Uh, so does Apple. And the profit margins on these companies are huge. So in other words, what I'm trying to say is they're not as overpriced as you might think they are. And the growth rate has been good, even though we've had a pandemic and a war going on. So that's pretty mind boggling. So I feel really comfortable with stock portfolios right now. I think that if you're looking for them, I would probably favor those that are growing um, because I think that that's a, uh, it's always a good thing to do. But more importantly, uh, growth in the future is, is why share prices have a tendency to go higher. There are basically two things that drive a company's long-term value. It's growth in sales and profit margins. If you have sales growth, 
but you don't have steady profit margins, you're headed for trouble. I mean, I've seen a lot, everybody's seen a lot of companies who got in trouble because they kept trying to, to produce products at a cheaper and cheaper price and they were getting higher sales, but their profits kept going down. Well, that's not, that's only sustainable for so long. Eventually that's going to end up costing them money and they may even go away. But if you can grow your sales and maintain your profit margin, see, that's the key. Grow your sales and maintain the profit margin. So it comes down to sales and profit margins. What are they? Those are two of the easier things to actually look up, uh, depending on what type of service you have. And I think, yeah, Fidelity, I, I use a couple different vendors. Uh, my The custodian I have the most money with is a Fidelity, and they give you the information. You can get that there if you have an account at Fidelity. Uh, it's a really expensive service if you don't have an account there. I think I, some people are paying this close. I think it's close to $1,000 a year. And uh, you're getting that data for free when you have a brokerage account there. So that's that's pretty good. And as soon as we get cleared, we'll have a, a seminar uh, on this kind of thing so you can go and look it up. Because it really, once you know where all the information is, it's not that hard. You can look it up in, uh, here, let me see. Pre-tax income, net income. Yeah, $72 billion is what uh, um, Microsoft made over the past 12 months. $72 billion on $200 billion in sales. That's pretty good. That's 35%. Holy cow. 35%. So with that little formula I did with the price to sales ratio, it should be at about seven times sales. It's a little higher than that because a lot of people think that it's going to keep growing. And I don't know, is it going to keep growing? It might, it could. Uh, it slowed down a little bit, 2022 from uh, 2021. But uh, overall, you know, what they'll do is they'll come out with a new version of the product and when they, you know, they'll go ring the bell again. <laughs> That's what they've been doing for years and years. So anyway, long story short, if you go down through the list, the stocks look pretty good. Microsoft's big part of the S&P 500, big part of the Russell 1000, uh, Google. They're, they're not as high as a lot of people think they might be. So I think they, they're, not a, they're not a bargain, but they're not grossly mispriced. And that, that's kind of good because I've got a really strong feeling that the uh, increases in GDP that we've been experiencing in this country, despite the fact that there's a war and a, and a pandemic it is amazing. And when this stuff starts to subside, watch out. I think the growth rate comes out in and doubles. And for a lot of companies, it's going to, you know, it's going to triple. And I think, I think we're in for good times as long as you are focused out five to 10 years and not over the next five to 10 weeks. And that still drives me crazy. I still get calls what do you think the market's going to do in the next six months? Yeah. How the heck? If I knew that, I wouldn't talk to you. <laughs> Especially if you took that tone of voice. <laughs> Just kidding. But the, uh, anyway, you, you can't know that. It's just impossible. You can know what a company should normally sell for, and you can know when it's not selling at the price that it would normally sell for. It's either overpriced or underpriced, and it could be by a little, it could be by a lot. 
And that's one of the reasons that I'm really fond of using funds because funds have, they call them factors. They're basically rules that they use to determine which stocks they're going to hold. And uh, I'm really a big fan of having that in your portfolio, uh, the discipline that it takes, the discipline that it adds to your portfolio. And again, I, I've been watching the, uh, you know what's done really horribly over the past five and 10 years? Small companies uh, that were considered value stocks, they have not done well at all. They may at some point in time, you know, just come ripping to the top like they have had a tendency to do in the past. Now, small, small cap growth, same thing. Uh, it's not quite as bad, but it's been the, uh, um, not a great performer. Actually, the best performers over the past, oh, uh, five and 10 years really have been the large comp- large, large cap growth. So you look at the Russell 1000 growth, and I'm pretty sure that's got the uh, best. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and look that. I think it has the best performance over the past 10 years. And let me see. I'll uh, pull it up here. Uh, Russell 1000 growth. Yep. Up 265%. That's the index, by the way. Yeah. Um, the, what's done the poorest over that time period, 126, the 1000 value. Wow. That's kind of interesting. So the largest companies and the value oriented ones were the lowest and the, the large, yeah, the large growth companies were the highest. The mid cap growth also up almost 200% over that time period. Uh, the mid cap value index. 132. So again, value and growth have really departed ways over the past uh, five and 10 years. I don't think I've ever seen them lag as long as they've been lagging over the past 10 years. And it's, it's, you know, when they say it's different this time, yeah, it's different this time. Is it going to continue? I don't know. You know, you never really know the value oriented stocks, the house in the neighborhood where everything's $200 a square foot and all of a sudden one comes up for a hundred bucks a square foot. First thing you think of is what's wrong with it. Okay. If it's because somebody had to move right away, was wealthy and didn't really care. That's great. You, you got a deal. Uh, if, uh, if it's because there's radon in the basement and you're going to have to remediate and the, and the roof leaks, uh, maybe not such a good deal. Might still be a, might still be a, a pretty good deal if the cost is only going to, you know, if it costs you 50 or 60,000 bucks to fix it, because then you'll still have a, that's what a value stock is, by the way. It's a stock that's been beat up <laughs> it, and it's selling below where it should be selling, but there's going to be some work to do. Uh, occasionally you might get a value stock that's actually, uh, it's selling at value prices, but it's growing very fast. It's very healthy, has high profit margins. That's, no, normally doesn't happen unless all stocks are down a lot. Okay, so when all stocks are down a lot, when when the when the S and P five hundred and the Dow and the Nasdaq are all down more than twenty percent, that's when you want to start looking for those types of stocks. They're growth stocks that are selling at bargain prices. Now that does not happen very often, and when it does happen, most people are really afraid. They're fearful when they should be greedy. And they're greedy when they should be fearful. 
When those stocks have doubled and tripled, and when they're up 265% in the last 10 years, people go, yeah, now's the time. Well, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> uh, I makes me nervous. <laughs> makes me really nervous. But, yeah, anyway, so I, I, I'm basically comparing, incidentally, for those of you just tuning in, uh, Russell 1000, 2000, uh, that's the large cap and the small cap and the mid cap, both the growth categories and the value along with the S&P 500, just looking out over the past 10 years. The mid-cap growth also better than the S&P over that time period, 200%. So um, mid-cap's my favorite category, by the way. You know, I'm much more comfortable buying Microsoft when it's $400 or $40 than I am when it's $4 like it is right now. Makes me a little more comfortable <laughs> getting something. Oh, by the way, back in those days, well, that wasn't really that long ago. That's, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing what some companies can do over time. You look at Google, you look at Apple, you look at Intel. Mind-boggling. Anyway, I hear the music. That means i got to take another commercial break. This is Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned because I'll be right back. Do you ever find yourself saying, I need a vacation? Vacation Fixation can help. At Vacation Fixation, we specialize in all-inclusive trips and cruises to Mexico, the Caribbean, and Disney vacations. Why choose us? Our clients book through Vacation Fixation because they are frustrated with online trip brokers and timeshare scams. Whether it's a weekend getaway, a family trip, spring break, or honeymoon, Vacation Fixation will personalize a trip just for you. Want to know the hottest destinations in Cancun, Punta Cana, Jamaica, or Puerto Vallarta? Interested in room upgrades, beach reviews, or details about resort restaurants? How about finding a trip with a direct flight? At Vacation Fixation, we take all of your specific travel requests and shop our suppliers to find the best deal. What's the cost? Our suppliers pay us so you don't have to. Call 330-573-8147 for more details. Or you can visit our website at vacationfixation.com. Or check out the deal of the day on Facebook. Vacation Fixation. It costs us more to fill up our tanks, heat our homes, and keep the lights on. Big government overspending and overregulation have led to rampant inflation and energy price hikes. But instead of helping lower prices, some legislators in Columbus are backing a misguided effort that could make things worse. House Bill 235 would create a government-imposed quota system that forces unionization in Ohio's energy sector. This big government labor mandate would dictate to companies who they could hire, essentially putting government officials in charge, not qualified professionals. These overbearing restrictions could make energy production even more expensive, costing Ohio families and business. Visit OhioansForAHealthyEconomy.com to learn more about how labor mandates will lead to higher costs. That's OhioansForAHealthyEconomy.com. Ohio families have suffered enough. Now is not the time to raise energy costs even further. Paid for by Ohioans for a Healthy Economy. 
No doubt about it, we're spending more time at home, which is the perfect time to make it more functional and beautiful. Hi, Ed Flash Ferentz here for Artistic Renovations, Northeast Ohio's premier and award-winning remodeler. Artistic did a fantastic job with our kitchen in 2016, and last year, they were back for the master bath. Oh, my word. Do yourself a favor and go to ArtisticReno.com. Believe me, you'll love their ideas and without question the finished product. For a virtual consultation, call 216-520-0838 or visit ArtisticReno.com. Thinking about updating your home? Well, Joyce Factory Direct specializes in replacing old, outdated windows. Proudly made right here in Cleveland, Joyce Windows features their exclusive Smart Shield High Performance Glass, which means you'll be getting the most energy-efficient windows for your home directly from the factory. Customers just love how much warmer their house is and how easy their new windows operate and clean. Right now, you can save 50% on all installations. Just call to schedule a free consultation with on-the-spot pricing, 440-243-5700, or visit JoyceFactoryDirect.com. You've heard the saying, all good things come to an end. Well, not always. Sometimes they just take a break. That's what's happening with our Lady of the Wayside's car donation program after 24 years and 96,000 rides donated. Pretty amazing. Here's the story. The car lot's owners sold the property, making it impossible for car donations to be accepted at this time. According to the Wayside CEO, Terry Davis, the next right steps will be determined and communicated soon. So stay tuned. In the meantime, Terry and the entire team at the Wayside thank you for your continued support of the 450 individuals with developmental disabilities in the Wayside's care. And please take note, you can still support them by making a donation at thewayside.org. Was thinking to myself, made a list of all my mistakes. Oh, I wish I could have run to you and tell you all about my heartbreak. And I wondered to myself, wait a minute, am I even on the right path now? Had a couple wins, but I got knocked down. But I know that you are here right now, and you say, Sometimes you lose, sometimes you win. back. If you hear anything that you'd have any questions on, feel free to email me, bill at bullingtoncapital.com, or go to my website. You can contact me that way as well. There's a contact us form there. Uh, and you could call 330-664-0700, 330-664-0700. I will try to get back to you as quickly as I possibly can. I know that I always give a lot of stuff out that makes a lot to think about, so don't feel bad. The uh, This is all I do every day, all day. Um, I wouldn't expect you to, uh, to know a lot of this unless you did what I did for a living. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, just, just don't feel bad. And one of the things that, uh, is kind of nice about this marketplace, despite the fact that it's been very volatile, that stock prices are lower is that bond prices have gone up. So if you've got a fund out there that's short term in nature, the income's going up on it. Uh, it hasn't dropped like long-term government bonds have. And your, your portfolio probably hasn't gone down nearly as much as those balanced funds out there that are holding onto regular bond funds. In fact, there are two bond funds. One of them's a BND. This is, that's the Vanguard total bond market. That's like a bond index fund. It's the S and P 500 of bond funds. And if you look at where that peaked out back in 2020, it's down 20% from there. bonds. That blows my mind. And, it's not just that they're bonds, it, those bonds are not that long-term. 
So, and I'm looking at, uh, there's a, a competitor to that from BlackRock, and uh, it's the Aggregate Bond Index Fund, and it's down 19. You know, that's that's a lot. Not what people were expecting from their bonds, and that's one of the one of the reasons I'm just not fond of a lot of those models that you get out there from uh, that I've seen from an awful lot of vendors. They're putting those bonds in there, and, and you know, it's killing them. Uh, and I, I know they would love to go and try to shift as short-term as humanly possible, but they just can't. There's, they have too much money under management, so they're, they're forced to buy some of this stuff. Well, that's not your problem. And uh, that's also one of the reasons I think the fixed indexed annuities, and, and I keep looking at the fixed annuities, and yeah, they're, they're starting to get more competitive with the fixed indexed, but they're not quite there yet. The fixed index is something, uh, it's a newer invention. It's a lot more complicated. But the fixed, or the fixed annuities work a lot more like regular CDs, and they're getting uh, uh, closer okay, in yield to the fixed index. They're not quite there yet, but they're very close. The nice thing about them is that they're not very complicated. So I was looking at some uh, products over the uh, week, this past week and weekend, and, you know, you can get a, a five-year, seven-year. You're looking at tax-deferred, a little over 5%. Um, that's not too bad, especially that it's tax-deferred. That's pretty good. You don't have If you're not spending the money, you don't have to uh, pay taxes on it. That makes it really nice. Most of them have uh, provisions where you can go in and you can take out a certain percentage of the account each year and a lot of them are like at 10%. So you could take out more than the interest that you got on it and you wouldn't have to pay any penalties. Uh, so that's pretty good too. And they keep saying they're going to have these fixed annuities for advisors, you know, and the advisor, we would charge a management fee and you could take money out and you wouldn't be penalized at all. I haven't seen any good ones on the fixed side yet. Okay, that, that may come at some point in time. I haven't really seen a lot of them, but I've seen a pretty good variable uh, I think Pack Life's got a really good one they've just come out with. Well, it's been out for a while now, but uh, it allows you to invest in mutual funds. It's got a relatively low expense ratio relative to other variable annuities, incidentally. So you can set up, you can get guarantees to be able to take out income and leave the money invested in funds. And they've got all the top fund families. I mean, Fidelity, Vanguard, you know, T. Rowe Price, you name it. Uh, there's a there are a ton of different options in there, and being able to defer the growth, not getting those, you know, this is what I, what kills me. You have some mutual funds. If the mutual mutual funds can actually be down, and there's a pretty good chance that the way that the market's gone this year, that you're going to have regular mutual funds that are going to pay capital gains and dividends, and they're uh, they're down. So you're going to get the pleasure of paying taxes on capital gains and dividend despite the fact that your fund is down. <laughs> Lovely. The, uh, that's one of the reasons I like exchange-traded funds. That's one of the reasons I like tax-deferred annuities, because when they're down, and it doesn't matter if they're paying dividends and capital gains, which they are to the fund, uh, to the annuity, that's not being distributed, so you don't have to pay taxes on it. That's pretty nice. So that's really nice, actually. In uh, uh, coming up with a plan, when you're trying to come up with a plan, it just lets you put a little bit more um, of a scheduled income from investments that normally 
are fluctuating all over the place. So you get a little more predictability. You know, you can get a little bit more predictability on the income you can generate. And you still have the potential for long-term growth. Now, that's what a lot of people say with the fixed indexed annuities. And yeah, uh, technically it's true, but I really, the fixed index have much higher guaranteed rates and the chances of the investments outperforming that with after all expenses, my opinion, pretty low. But the Browns may win the Super Bowl next year. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they could. I, I don't, they probably have a better chance of that than uh, somebody earning a seven or eight percent on a fixed index annuity. <laughs> the uh, unless you just had a super year, and, and you know it could be because right now, you know, S and P is down sixteen percent. We've only got another month. Uh, that could set us up for a really good year next year if, if we went from where it is right now back to the highs that were reached earlier this year. It'd be up 23%. That'd be good. Yeah, 23% in a year. That That's awesome. The only problem is you know, we were there last January <laughs> to get back to that point. And, and that's my point is that if you're looking at a fixed index annuity, I would. my guess is that next year they're going to probably look a lot better than they have in the past you know, couple of years. Uh, the uh, They don't actually invest directly in the indexes. The vast majority of them don't. They buy uh, options on futures contracts that are tied to those indexes or just options on the index itself. So I know that that's probably making people scratch their heads, but just don't worry about it. Uh, Normally, the only reason you really want to look at that is you want to look at the fixed or the guaranteed rates, and that's what you want to compare when you're looking at that because the chances of them outperforming the, the investments outperforming the guarantees, it's pretty low. I mean, you'd have to have some killer years to pay all the expenses and still be ahead of the rates that they're willing to guarantee. That's why I like that so much. That's why I started talking about it to begin with. When I first started talking about it, interest rates were under 2%. And now that they're up a little bit higher, yeah, they're they're getting closer to being competitive, a lot more competitive. But uh, still, you, you're getting better rates now, still from the fixed index products than you are from traditional fixed income, CDs, treasuries, that kind of thing. But, you know, having said that, CDs and treasuries are liquid. You can just cash them in. And when you buy CDs from a brokerage firm, you can buy CDs from banks all across the country. You get more than a, the minimum SIPC coverage or FDIC coverage. You can go up to, some of them will give you up to $2.5 million worth of coverage where they're insured and they're still all CDs. That's kind of nice. Uh, with treasuries, you really don't have to worry about it because the federal government has the ability to print their own money. You may have heard of that. It's this unit called the Fed and the Treasury. <laughs> they work together. So if if they run out of money, they can just print more. <laughs> now, Anybody that knows anything about economics wishes I would really shut up right about now because if they did do something like that, you'd see massive inflation. I mean, just massive. And uh, so I I doubt that that's going to happen that way. But push comes to shove. They've got the ability to borrow money and put that money to work uh, or just print the money and put that money to work in the economy. So that makes treasuries actually the safest investment 
as far as credit quality goes, because, you know, like I said, they can just print the money and hand it to you. Uh, and when the interest rates on those are going up, that's a pretty good thing. It doesn't get any safer than buying treasuries. That, if when you're looking at the credit risk, you know, the company, uh, the country being able to pay off its debts, well, they can pay it off because, you know, they just, again, they own the printing presses. Not a big deal. Uh, but the rates are about 1% to 2% lower than you might get on a fixed annuity or a fixed index annuity. And that's today that those things change over time. So six months from now, it may be different. It, it actually it will be different six months from now. But right now, where we are, uh, if you if you need the money quickly, you need to get your hands on it very quickly. Then Treasury is probably the best thing because they're the most liquid. You can just sell them. You get the interest that they accrue on a daily basis. The price is going to fluctuate a little bit. Uh, that's why you don't want to buy a long-term treasury, just like that long-term treasury bond fund we were talking about that was down 40%. Yeah, no, sorry. You want to stick with something that's two to three years maximum. And right now, the two-year was the highest yielding uh, the last time I looked this morning. So you can get right around a little, right, right around 4% or so uh, on a two-year treasury. One-year treasury, you can get right around 4%, maybe 39 4.1, somewhere in that neighborhood. And uh, so I, I think those things make a whole lot of sense, uh, a whole lot of sense, given this environment. So I think, you're, you know, you're going to be good to go. The stocks that are down so much since they were last year, uh, that doesn't, you know, sometimes that happens. It could go another 12 or 18 months. I don't know. That's why you should never be thinking in terms of less than five to 10 years when you put money in a stock fund. If you're not willing to say, yes, I think I can hold on to this for the next five years. And, and if it it's a lot easier if it's a part of your overall portfolio. If you say, I've got fixed income, maybe I've got a fixed index annuity cranking out income to me every month, so I don't need to take everything out of the, anything out of the stocks. And then I've got some money in, in some short-term treasuries. That's cranking out some extra interest if I want to spend it. If not, I'll just reinvest it. Yeah, maybe I've got a regular fixed annuity and it's cranking out income every month and I'm just reinvesting it, not paying taxes on it until I get ready to start spending it. So the main idea is to come away with a plan. You know, retirement income planning is fairly difficult to do. I mean, get in this environment with interest rates as low as they are still, they're still low historically. They're still below the 100 year average. And, uh, but it's a lot better than it was a few years ago. That is for sure. But the uh, stocks, not all stocks have done as well as large cap growth stocks have. In fact, most of them have not. So and that gives me um, hope because inevitably, if you look at a 40-year average return on large, medium, and small cap, they're within 1% of each other. Think about that. If they're within 1% of each other over the last 40 years or so, and small and medium-sized companies happen to grow a little bit easier than large cap, than large stocks do. I mean, Microsoft's got to go out there and find billions of dollars in new sales, new sales. And then they got to make up all the sales that they had from last year. They got to redo those. That's hard to do. The companies, when they're smaller, have a, uh, a little easier time of it in growing their sales. That's why I kind of lean towards them especially when they've underperformed for as long as they have in the long run, 
over the past 40 years, they've been within 1% of each other. So what does that mean? If they've been underperforming lately, if they're going to close that gap and get back to their normal, what's going to happen? Well, they should go up faster than the large cap. We'll see. You know, I'm, I'm not selling my large cap growth. I'm not all, I'm going to hang on to that. I'm just rebalancing the portfolio and adding to some of those other categories on the uh, chance that uh, if they were to catch back up, that would boost my returns fairly significantly. Okay. That's one of the reasons I have a job. That is really hard to do. Even for me, I just grip my teeth and go, "Mm, all right, here we go. (laughs) I know this is uh, good for me in the long run. It's like somebody who hates, who hates spinach when they're a kid. Uh, You know, actually you can throw some sugar on there in the kid. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) You're ruining it. Uh, I'm getting punchy. <laughs> it's that time of day. So, so anyway, I, I think we're all we're okay. Next couple of years, I, I and when this war starts to slow down, when the supply chains start to get back all up on eight cylinders, I just I think we're in for a big run. I think the GDP growth is going to be fairly significant. I think it's going to be huge, uh, especially when they start repairing all the stuff that they they've broken in Europe. I mean, that's going to increased demand worldwide for everything. Well, you see the pictures there? Yeah, uh, that's not going to you know, it's not going to be cheap. It's going to be doable. We'll be there. We'll participate. The entire world world will participate. I can't even speak today. Is going to participate. <laughs> anyway, if you heard anything you'd like more information on, feel free to go to my website bullingtoncapital.com. Have a good weekend everybody. Good luck and good investing. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.